It's not an all or nothing approach. If you're interested for health and wellness reasons to incorporate more plant-based foods into your diet, it could be 100%. You could be vegan. But if that's too challenging or you feel that your body really does need a little bit meat, for example, or dairy or whatever it is, fish, then you can still be plant-based and occasionally have those other food groups. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either-or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. As we close out Veganuary, I am thrilled to introduce you to a guest who is committed to spreading great information about a plant-based diet. She even started a podcast called Plant-Based Diet under the umbrella of a production company that she founded, Alternative Food Network. Her name is Esther Garfin, and hers is a story that shifts from a career as a lawyer in the entertainment industry of Toronto to launching a multimedia and content production company focused on healthy living through healthy foods. Esther Garfin, I'm thrilled to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I want to start out by really learning a bit about why you shifted from that career in entertainment, must have been thrilling in certain ways, in <laughs> Toronto to this new effort. Yeah, I get asked that a lot. I practiced for 20 years, over 15 years of those in entertainment and television and digital media, and it was a very good career. I have nothing but best things to say about a legal career, but my path uh, just took me elsewhere. In my 40s, I just felt that there was something more that I could be doing to help people. And at that time, I had eczema on my skin, which wasn't going away. It was getting worse. I was getting a lot of colds. I really wasn't, I don't think, at my best health-wise. And I don't know, somehow all the world started to collide. I also was working on some really stupid TV shows. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I really would like to work on content that means something that helps people. And so I kind of just changed hats and switched over to producing. Well, I'm sure that you've learned a lot through the process. I started my first podcast about two years ago, and it's amazing how much I've learned in the process by hosting conversations with guests who are hyper-specialized in one particular area or another. So could you talk a bit about what you've learned and perhaps what you've been surprised by? In running a business, you mean, or the podcast itself? From the nutrition perspective. You know what? I just, I love the content. I mean, we've done countless episodes, both for plant-based diet and another series we have called Doctors Plus. And I just don't get tired of it. I love the content. I love learning about what food can do for our bodies. Food is medicine. Again, not to exclude conventional medicine and pharmaceuticals when needed, but I think it's a really overlooked area of what our food can do and not do for us. And I learn every day, both between my research when I'm researching guests for the shows and also during the podcast themselves. I love it. Well, you mentioned food as medicine and also that you were battling eczema. 
What did you find on your journey that helped you with that? So from the eczema perspective, I had gone to every kind of doctor. It was just on my hands. It wasn't a horrible situation, but it was on my hands. So it made actually cooking very difficult. So I went to every kind of doctor and all they ever did was prescribe cortisone. And I was like, I want someone to talk to me about what's going on on the inside that might be causing this. I do have food allergies, so there could have been a connection there as well. And I just wasn't getting the answers that I wanted or needed. And so I decided to change my diet. I lowered my sugar intake. It was one of the things. And I think that is probably, from the food perspective, the thing that I would say worked for me the best. Because I'll tell you, I have a little flare up right now, which I have not had for two years. I've been eczema free for two years. And I think it's because I just completed a road trip from Toronto to Florida and back with my family. And there was a lot of junk in the car. And I was driving part of the time and I was partaking in that junk and in that sugar. And I have a feeling that that's now set me back a little bit, but it really helped with my own situation and with all the shows. I mean, I get emails, I don't know from your work that you do, if you get emails from the audience, but I get emails, people thanking me for the information and they really appreciate it. So we keep on going. That's fantastic. Now, I think just for our audience to help them understand what eczema is, eczema essentially is an inflammatory skin condition. And what I found, I actually do have an outbreak of eczema every once in a while. I wouldn't say I traditionally suffer from it because it's something that kind of comes as a surprise when it happens. But I went to my doctor, I had noticed just on my pinky, I just noticed like right around the time that I was getting married, which is a very stressful time. You have all those things coming together. What looked like little clear blisters right along my nail line on my pinky and between my fingers on my ring finger on both hands. And of course, you're hyper-focused on your hands as you're preparing for your wedding and you're going to be having all these close-up pictures of your hands, your fingers, the ring, this, that, and the next thing, right? So I'd gone to my doctor and they just kind of flippantly said, oh, well, that's eczema. And I'm like, wait, what? Can you give me some sort of rationale? Like, why might I be experiencing this now? I've never had an issue like this in the past. And it just almost looks like goose flesh in a way. And what will happen with time if you have a severe case is that the blisters will break and it can get really painful. You can have a difficult time, especially if you get your hands wet, then sometimes it can develop into even a fungal condition. So it can become much worse as you have just an early onset of something like that. And so what I did at that point was say, okay, well, I obviously have to de-stress. I need to put some things in case because I'm basically having this occur because of stress. And at the time I was only like 29 and I didn't worry too much about my diet, but I did refine some things at that point too. And I learned that candida and overgrowth of candida can very much affect whether or not you get outbreaks of eczema and how severe they get. And so the connection between overconsumption of sugar and candida is well established. So reducing your intake of something like these, especially processed sugars, but even fruit-based sugars and alcohol and things along those lines can very much help to reduce that skin inflammation so that the outbreak wanes and dissipates. Some people still need treatment, but a lot of times our bodies are simply reacting 
to the poor habits that we've carried along with us, like not getting enough sleep and stressing out too much and having a poor diet. Again, this is not meant to treat, diagnose, cure. This show is not here to do that, but we can do a bit of personal research and see what feels right for us. We can talk to our doctors and I'd encourage anybody who encounters issues like this to do so, but also ask them questions about what habits you might have that could be making this situation worse and then think about what you could do differently. So I love that journey and I love that I have the opportunity to share my story too because it's (laughs) not often that I've even thought about that because it just kind of faded into the background. That's good for you that it went away. For a lot of people, it doesn't go away. And if you think that going to the doctor, for anyone who's listening, I wouldn't get your hopes up too high that your doctors will talk to you about your diet when it comes to eczema, but... Yeah, a lot of them won't. Right. But at least maybe you can do a little bit of research and find something that will work for you. In some cases, treatments that are topical can at least soothe you, especially temporarily, like whether it be that lotion or something to that effect too. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about what it means to have a plant-based diet. This is something we were talking about just before we started recording because people are using terms like plant-based and vegan so interchangeably today, but they don't necessarily mean the same things. So I'd love for you to talk about that. It was getting a bit confusing because, as you said, the terms are being used interchangeably. And vegan does not equal plant-based. It just does not. It's not one and the same. To the point where I even did an episode last year, I got sound bites from various guests explaining the difference between plant-based and vegan. And in a nutshell, In fact, probably the easiest way to say what plant-based is, is I recently did an episode that hasn't aired yet for a plant-based diet with a guest. Her name's Hannah Van Ark. She's the plant-forward nutritionist. And she says in the episode, she's not vegan, but she's plant-based. I mean, but that doesn't mean that everything she eats is even whole food plant-based. I mean, the way she described it, she quantified it as 90% plant-based. So 90% of what she eats is plant-based, meaning there's still 10% in the diet that she'll eat other items. And I would say that that's probably a good way to think of it. It's not an all or nothing approach. If you're interested for health and wellness reasons to incorporate more plant-based foods into your diet, it could be 100%. You could be vegan. But if that's too challenging or you feel that your body really does need a little bit meat, for example, or dairy or whatever it is, fish, then you can still be plant-based and occasionally have those other food groups. Getting back to the subject of Veganuary, this is a new trend that has started to erupt from many different corners. You're seeing this all over social media now with this push coming first out of a company in the UK that's called Veganuary. They are encouraging people to take the month of January, dry January, also be vegan And I personally think that could be very challenging for somebody who perhaps isn't already most of the way to vegan. So I like the idea of making it more plant-based, even if that is 90%, because you could have a cupcake that might have frosting on it. Or if somebody could say, oh, I made these great cupcakes at your kid's party or something like that, and they might have egg in it. So there's a point at which being super militant can also be somewhat challenging from a social perspective. And so I personally am more plant-based than vegan because I do still have some dairy occasionally. 
I still consume eggs. I buy eggs locally, farm fresh from friends who farm them. So I know the source, which is really cool to be that connected to the food source. But there is a basic trend to move more towards a plant-based diet to follow the Michael Pollans of the world who say, eat whole foods, mostly plants. And then you ultimately end up with a healthier diet that can sustain you for the long term. I know there are also trends like the carnivore diet, which we've talked about a little bit here and there with people like Dr. Paul Saladino offering their perspectives on how you can heal metabolic issues with this somewhat extreme diet. But that's like the polar opposite of this whole vegan approach. And one I don't necessarily resonate with, but I'm still immensely curious about. What other trends are you following presently? Are there any surprises that came out of the woodwork this month for you? As you said, Veganuary is still a big month for us. We just released a podcast with the owner of an egg substitute company. I listened to that. So cool. And what's interesting is that right now, as we're recording right now in the news, there's a lot about the increase in the price of eggs. So aside from veganism or plant-based health wellness, it's actually, there's also recessionary times. People want to be super cost conscious and eggs are going up in price. So people might be looking to egg substitutes, even from cost perspective. So we released this episode for Veganuary with his name is Harold Balacci. He's the owner of The Veg, and that we did in honor of Veganuary. And also you were mentioning about the dry January. I think there's a dry January, and I just was reading about a dry February. I don't know if you heard that, but in our podcast, more on the Doctors Plus series, there is talk about alcohol and what really should people be drinking and not drinking. So I am a proponent of the dry January, or at least being mindful of what you're drinking, the alcohol that you're consuming, and perhaps trying to lessen it. Because in fact, Canada just came out with a new report completely decreasing the number of glasses of alcohol or wine that would be suitable for a person, for men, for women. I don't know the numbers, but it's a big reduction in the weekly numbers. I think we're probably going to be seeing a lot more about alcohol and the health issues related to alcohol and warnings and things like that. Yeah. Well, not only does it negatively impact the waistline if you're over-consuming alcohol, But as we've covered on this podcast, when we featured Dr. Joseph Maroon, he's a neurosurgeon and neurologist. He basically said there's no good news when it comes to the brain and alcohol. And so if you see things like a longer lifespan and an increase in the incidence of things like Alzheimer's or other degenerative diseases of the brain, then alcohol starts to become a very important discussion. Absolutely. We just recorded not too long ago episode for Doctors Plus with Dr. Annie Fenn. And she has the Brain Health Kitchen, all her work right now. She used to be an OBGYN. She has this Brain Health Kitchen and a cookbook. And she talks about all about Alzheimer's prevention. And also in that episode, she was talking about alcohol and- There's no good news. No good news there. (laughs) Yeah. The only good news I think that I've heard is from Dr. William Lee, who says- One glass of beer or one glass of wine on a daily basis can be health promoting, but the neurosurgeon and neurologist friends of mine don't even agree with that. They just say it's best to omit. But that being said, Dr. Joseph Maroon himself also admits to enjoying a nice glass of Pinot Noir because 
Pinot Noir tends to have higher levels of resveratrol, and he closely also follows Dr. David Sinclair's work around brain health and longevity as it relates to resveratrol. So there's no perfect way to package this all up. Some of the research does conflict, but generally speaking, very little. And this old adage that we might have had in the long ago past where people would get prescribed two fingers of scotch is a thing of the complete past. <laughs> so doctors now will tell you no amount of hard alcohol is good for you. Like there's no such thing. A glass of red wine or a beer might have some benefit. However, omission may be the best course of order for most. So what do they say? Mind your liver because of the brain liver connection is quite critical too. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing on our episodes as well. Not to be a killjoy, we don't want to take away people socializing and having fun. And if that includes holding a glass of wine, so be it. But on a daily basis, people should probably be reducing their consumption. Well, I think this also lends to another trend, which is mocktails in place of cocktails. There are even alcohol-free spirits now. So I was curious to try some of these Natural Products Expo East in September They had an alcohol-free gin and an alcohol-free vodka. And I'm like, well, how can you even call these that if they have no alcohol in them? But they did have a mild juniper flavor on the gin side. And the tequila tasted a little kind of almost smoky, a little bit like, I'm forgetting what the name is of those experts of spirits will know what I'm talking about. I've not tried the mocktails, but you know what? I don't like the taste of hard alcohol anyways. So it's not like I need a substitute for that. Well, a nice glass of wine is something that I often find hard to turn down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. As my husband will call the book club I'm a part of, it's like a gourmet food and wine club more than a book club perhaps sometimes. Yeah, although before we wrap up this part of the conversation, (laughs) I'll tell you a funny story. We were away actually last year skiing and we were with friends and someone brought a bottle of Jägermeister, which perhaps you haven't had since you were 19 years old, or in the States, 21 years old. (laughs) It's definitely something that not for some time. But this friend of mine was saying that her 90-year-old, or at the time, 88-year-old father would drink this. He would drink Jägermeister. So we're like, why of all the drinks? And if you actually look at the label of what's on Jägermeister, there are a lot of (laughs) health-promoting ingredients on there. So just recently, someone in my family had a cold and we made a little like a hot toddy, but just with a tiny shot of Jägermeister, just because it didn't seem like it was such a bad choice. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what the doctors would say about that. It's an infusion of a lot of different herbs and it's supposed to actually be, I think, a digestive. So people would consume it after a meal, a small amount to help them digest their food. I never drank it as such, but uh, <laughs> but now it might make a good, for a good hot toddy. Yeah, I can't imagine what that would taste like, and I don't have the fondest memories. It will in the hot toddy with lemon and honey and all that kind of stuff, and a tiny bit is actually good. Well, maybe we'll give that a try. <laughs> now, as we talk about shifting to a more plant-based diet or one that is fundamentally rooted in, let's say, those 90% whole food, plant-based diet. What is a favorite recipe that you might have to introduce people to a more plant-based diet? Curry is great. I like to make coconut curry. So again, instead of using a dairy, a milk or something 
coconut milk and sweet potatoes, beans, lentils. I love lentils. Lentils give me a lot of energy. I have recently found, especially in winter, curries are great. I also love soup. So vegetable soup or some sort of vegetable-based soup. They're great. They're filling, healthy. So those are some of my favorites. I started to eat on a more regular basis organic tofu. And so I'm always looking for recipes that can make that tofu taste better because on its own, as anyone knows who might have tried it, tofu doesn't taste like very much. And some people even have a hard time with the texture. So I do try to make a lot of different recipes with tofu. With a few herbs and spices, tofu can take on almost any flavor, which is one of the things that makes it kind of marvelous. When I make tacos, often make tacos with tofu, you just use the taco seasoning on the tofu and it's fantastic. There's even a local restaurant here in Santa Cruz County that has a Mike's Mess is like their egg dish and it has potato and egg and all these other things, but they have a tofu version of that. And I prefer it to the egg. So sometimes you can find that it has an incredible way to replace something that you might otherwise have gone to a more animal-based product for. There's commonly, of course, seasoned with things like soy sauce too, but you can add it to a curry as a, for instance, and it's divine. So are there any supplements that you like to take to just ensure that you're not running into any deficiencies given a mostly plant-based diet? I take a B12 and something that has ashwagandha in it. It has a few different things just to support the system. I found I was just at my stage in life getting monthly headaches. (laughs) So I do take that. uh, It's probably not. Well, it could be related to the fact that I'm plant-based also. Maybe it helps with iron and whatnot. But I really do take most of, I try to get mostly what I need from food. Yeah. What do they say? Supplements are supposed to be there to supplement a healthy diet. And common deficiencies, if you go fully vegan, are in the omega-3 space, like not getting enough EPA and DHA, and also, of course, vitamin B12. And so something novel, and which I'll be happy to send you some because I want your opinion on this too, but we have learned at Orlo Nutrition that growing spirulina, the way we're growing it, actually produces naturally occurring vitamin B12 methylcobalamin. And so it's not even additive. And this is one of the particular ingredients that's really hard to get enough of if you're mostly plant-based, especially if you don't eat red meat in particular. And so as it stands now, the immunity boost, which is centered around spirulina, gives you a dollop of vitamin B12 with some other B vitamins, vitamin D3, and you get the immune boosting benefits of the spirulina as well. So just a simple oral spray. I'd love to hear your thoughts after you try it. So we'll make sure you get some of that. I'd love to try it. And also you just reminded me, we do try have fish just once a week or so. And one of my kids will not touch the stuff. So I'm always looking for a good, an omega supplement. He's a teenager. Okay. So you swallowing a pill wouldn't probably be that difficult. I have an almost eight-year-old and I trained him to swallow pills when he was six. So a tip for anybody out there, I like to mention this when it comes up. If you have a child and you want them to take something that you swallow as opposed to yet another gummy vitamin, that you can teach them to swallow, especially smaller pills, like a 500 milligram tends to be fairly easy for them. You simply take the pill, put it in your mouth, kind of towards the back of your throat, take a sip of water, and then move your chin down. Don't look up. 
the instinct is to look up and throw it back, but that actually closes your throat. So if you tip your chin down and you swallow, you can swallow almost any size pill much more easily. Now, I learned this technique because I had a supplementarian friend who would swallow 10 or 15 pills at once, and I just could not understand it. And he's like, no, here's how. And so I got to the point when I was taking a lot of different things, I could swallow five or 10 capsules at a time. I'm no longer on that stretch. I do also get most of my nutrition from food and then supplement with a core level of omega-3s. I do take a vitamin D because I tend to run low. Oh yeah, I take that also. I forgot about that one, yeah. (laughs) You get your levels checked and your annual a lot of times, and sometimes you have to ask for it. Like your B vitamin, you might have to ask for, but I get mine tested annually. And if I don't take a supplement on a routine basis, and now I'm getting mine from Immunity Boost, I don't need more than about 1,000 or 2,000 IU a day. But when I take that much on a consistent basis, then my level's consistently at 30 or above. And if I don't, then I'm at like 20. (laughs) And that's where you don't want to be. Because it's fat soluble, you can take too much. So Dr. Foreman, who just came on this podcast a little bit ago, he gave his general advice to people is one to 2000 a day should be enough, but get your levels checked and consult with your doctor. That's always the message, right? At the end of the day. But he also shared something I was surprised by. He shared that he didn't get concerned with his patients unless they got levels below 25. And I had been told by my doctor, if I went below 30, they wanted me to adjust and take more vitamin D3. So this may vary by your practitioner, but it's not that complicated to get your levels checked. And you can even get a vitamin D test over the counter if you so chose. Yeah, not too expensive. Did you say you have vitamin D in your spray? It's in the immunity boost. We put a thousand IU of vitamin D3 in an aqueous solution. And so it's water solubilized for improved absorption with a smattering of B vitamins and the spirulina. So it tastes good. It's mildly sweet. There's a little sorbitol in there to help with that, but it also acts as a preservative. So it's got a shelf stable life of at least a year. And you can just throw it in your purse, a couple sprays in the mouth, and it's easy to take with you on the go. It's travel friendly too, because it's less than one ounce or it is one ounce when it's full. (laughs) Mine, very simple. In what form does that come? It's in the polar lipid form. And this is a very interesting development in the omega-3 spaces because algae naturally has omega-3s in that polar lipid form. But when you concentrate it, you usually break the bonds and you end up with something like an ethyl ester. Ours is so clean in the beginning and we don't have to hyper-concentrate it because of our growing conditions. So we retain the polar structure and that means it's up to three times more absorbable than what you would find from fish or traditional algae oils. It's really an interesting development and we've gotten there through the use of technology by controlling growing conditions in a very clean way so you don't have to worry about molecularly distilling it to remove harmful pollutants that exist in our oceans is one example. That sounds great. Right up my alley. Right up your alley. It's right up my alley too. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> as my husband calls me, the omega-3 evangelist. So um, <laughs> that's what it is. They impact so many areas of your health. Also from your eczema to any inflammatory condition you might run into too. Joints. Yeah. Skin, hair. Like Sometimes women run into, if they're not getting enough protein, they'll start to have thinning hair. And so this had been a problem in some individuals who perhaps weren't managing a vegan diet very well. 
like perhaps they didn't eat enough beans or rice or other things to kind of round out the level of proteins that they were receiving and also running into deficiencies of omega-3s, then you can start to experience things like thinning hair, which nobody wants to really talk about. But getting enough protein, you can do that from plant-based sources too, and also getting enough omega-3s can be really critical. So fun things to discuss, right? We have to play to our vanity a little bit here and there. Well, listen, we just did an episode on our Doctors Plus Premium one of the premium episodes, which is subscription for us. And it was with a dermatologist. And so it was all about the relation between food and skin and skin health and anti-aging and all that. So from a physician standpoint as well, there definitely is a connection. Yeah. And people are already doing things like going out and getting collagen to drink with their coffee or in their protein shakes and things like that. But if you don't have other nutrients in your system, then you're not going to get all the benefits of that either. Maybe you know a bit more about this. I mean, we had talked about the episode, this is where Dr. Falke hosts it. And they were talking about taking collagen. So first topically using it and internally, and what the dermatologist's thoughts were on it. And I think there's not much science yet for taking it internally in some way, shape or form. So that I think he didn't have a clear opinion on that yet. Yeah, I think most of the estheticians and doctors I've spoken to in the skin health space have said vitamin C will likely do more for you internally than collagen will internally, but it's become a popular protein source. I think I see stacks of vital proteins now at every Costco that you might walk into. So if that's your source for protein, I guess okay, but you probably need other health-promoting nutrients. Hyaluronic acid offers a lot of skin support. There's all sorts of other researched ingredients that can be used. Usually, if they can be used topically and internally, the combination of the two can actually offer additional support, at least from what I've read. But that includes things like vitamin C and hyaluronic acid, and I'm not sure if it extends to everything else. We do know, for instance, that retinol, a form of vitamin A on the skin can help with breakouts and inflammatory conditions on the skin, but it can also over dry. So there's a reason that it tends to remain more prescriptive. You work with a doctor to get those sorts of things. Yeah, we're talking about retinol as well. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So talk to me a bit more about Doctors Plus. I'd like for our audience to get a taste for what they can expect from Dr. Falquier's both public episodes and then the private ones that I believe are membership-based. Sure. Well, I started Doctors Plus a couple of years ago. It was a way for me to ensure that I was getting very credible and trustworthy evidence-based information about food as medicine out there, because that's not always the case on social media and in just generally what's out there. It's not necessarily evidence-based. So it was very important for me perhaps coming from my training as a lawyer, that we were producing content that was evidence-based. So for me, I decided that I would interview only medical doctors who happened also to be trained in a complementary or alternative therapy, and they would discuss food as medicine. And then this year, we decided to produce Doctors Plus premium episodes, and they are hosted by Dr. Sabrina Falke, who is a physician and a culinary medicine expert. So she has taken on the hosting duties for the premium episodes. They are via subscription on Apple Podcasts. So 
They are our first not free content offering. They're just a few bucks a month. And then there's also an annual membership. It's not a lot of money, but it's really premium information that can be trusted. And Dr. Falke interviews other physicians and they about various topics such as diabetes, cancer, skin health, weight loss, but they're all physicians and they kind of dig down into food as medicine. In each episode, she does a recipe. So she it's an audio recipe. She walks the listener through a recipe. And then we as well put those recipes as standalone episodes as part of the subscription. And Doctors Plush, the free version is still around. It has all my old episodes. And we'll see what we do with it next. I am incorporating some clips, some useful clips from the premium series. And I put it on the free series just so people have a taste of what's going on there. That's beautiful. Well, this has been my pleasure to have you on the show. I want to thank you too for having me on as a guest on your show to talk about everything we were doing differently with Orlo Nutrition. I would love to invite you back when you're doing a new campaign or something along those lines, and also can't wait to engage with Dr. Falkier so we can get a taste of what that show will be like directly on this podcast, Nutrition Without Compromise. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and also thank you for coming on our plant-based diet series. And yeah, I'd love to come back on, and I hope you have a great interview with Dr. Falkier. I think culinary medicine is a relatively new field, so I think you'll have a very interesting talk about what that is and what she does and all to help everyone out there. Yeah. And she's in my home state of California, so it'll be easy to find a connection time. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. To find out more about Esther Garfin, plant-based diet and Doctors Plus podcasts, drop by our show notes and you will be linked directly to her shows. I encourage you to check out the complete blog page on orlonutrition.com as you'll find our transcripts and features that you won't find anywhere else. I'm also going to throw a couple of recipes in there that are my favorites and plant-based to encourage you to add just a few more plants to your diet. If you have questions about what we covered or topics that you'd like to see us dive more deeply into, hit us up on social channels at Orlo Nutrition. And you can send me an email note directly to hello at orlonutrition.com. As a reminder to all of our listeners, If you visit our website, Orlo Nutrition, and you have any products that you'd like to try from the omega-3s to the immunity boost, you can use the coupon code NWC10 to get an extra 10% off of your cart at checkout. This could mean savings of up to 37% with promotions that we're presently running on the site. So as we close today's show, I hope that you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me as I raise a cup of mine and say my closing words, here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or.